I get in my car and I noticed that my phone had gotten a call from the house. When Sherry picked up, I knew it was a different day. And she said, you have to get everybody there to pray. She said, the baby got out of the house, has fallen into the swimming pool and is drowned. And the EMTs are here trying to bring him back. Everybody, welcome to the Charles Billingsley Podcast. Got my friends Brandon Pickett and Adam Lancaster sitting here with me. Hey, yo. Hey, Once again, and today's a good day. Last week, crazy Larry the Cable Guy and his wife Kara. This week, we've got Rick Burgess. Every bit is crazy. And oh, yeah. Just as, I mean, he is funny, and he's got you know his radio DJ partner, Bubba, yep. who uh, is with him every morning, the Rick and Bubba Show. This morning, Bubba's not here. He's probably playing tennis somewhere, but we've got Rick Burgess with us, and uh, man, what a hoot he is, huh? He is hilarious, and Rick is a machine. Not only... The wit, the, the yeah. I mean, just he's quick. so fast. He is so fast, but if you, it's a radio show, granted, so you're not usually watching him. But if you ever get a chance to watch him, Rick is also the engineer of the show, so yeah. he's pulling all the music in and out, he's firing all the sound effects, okay. and he's on top of everything. It's masterful. It is, yeah. and they keep. He's up. got this board in front of him, and he's so quick with the buttons, and he's got oh, all yeah. these crazy things that he can just hit it on on a whim. And it is so fast, and it's so witty. I don't know how, and I mean, I, Adam did radio a while back. I've done radio and TV, but to do all of that and be up on all of the latest current events. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys. They know their stuff. Oh, big time. They yeah. don't they don't miss a thing. I mean, no. And then and then they also find things that nobody hears about and make huge stories out of them and it's usually hilarious. I was made for this. You know his voice. You've heard his songs. But if you really want to get to know him even better, you need to check out charlesbillingsley.com. After 30 years and more than 3,000 concerts, Charles Billingsley is just getting started. To find out where you can catch his next concert, to order the latest merchandise, or to book him at your next event, check out charlesbillingsley.com. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for our email list to get updates and encouragement right to your inbox or phone. You know his voice. You've heard his songs. Check out charlesbillingsley.com. Welcome back to the Charles Billingsley Podcast. I want you guys to welcome our good friend, Rick Burgess, on the show. Hey, man. Welcome, Rick. Hey, hey guys. It has finally happened. Charles has attempted to do what I do for a living. This is going to be a blast. I finally have the upper hand. (laughs) Oh, finally. You always have the upper hand, Rick. (laughs) By the way, hang on just a second. I need to hang on. I I had to take this call. Okay. It's Michael Michael J. Fox. It's Michael J. Fox from Back to the Future. Yeah, Charles has your vest. Uh, uh, Michael J. Fox is called and is trying to get that back. <laughs> Look, Rick, you've inspired Adam for years in his redneck clothing. And now, even when oh, yeah. we're doing women's events, Adam is wearing a plaid shirt of some sort, his, his beard, his uh, suede boots. But every year, he, he undoes another button. Another button well, is undone oh, come every on single He's year. Trying to sell some records. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Hang on, just man, another call's coming in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, hey Crowder. Yeah, yeah. Adam's got your stuff on. He sure does. 
Uh, it's uh, uh, the beard is, is struggling, but he does have the same shirt. On. <laughs> yeah, 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 he doesn't have Crowder's beard for sure. <laughs> There's a chance I might can sing better though. Oh, oh. wow! I can't now, now see, you gotta edit this stuff. You know what? You know what? Speaking of singers, we need to have Jason Knup on this show one day. And Rick, you help co-host it with me because I just want to interview that guy. I mean, he's a legend. If we can do James Knup behind the music, I am yeah. all in. <laughs> me too. I want to be a part of that. Okay, so Rick. You've had the Rick and Bubba show for how many years now? When January 2022 rolls around, the Rick and Bubba show will celebrate its 28th birthday. Wow. 28. So 28 years, man. That's pretty amazing. You know what? I started my ministry a little over 29 years ago. So we, about the we same time. About the same time. Can you believe that? I mean, we've talked about this before, but uh, Kevin Derryberry unofficially introduced us. He, you know, he was coming on the show. Uh, Kevin and I played in rock bands uh, before we both found Jesus. And uh, and then I attempted to keep doing it a little bit after Jesus. And I realized those two things are very hard to work together. So uh, when, when Kevin and I were redeemed and he started doing music and using his talents for Christ, uh, he put together some early CDs and Charles sang on one of the CDs. And I was like, who is this guy? And, uh, you know, and I said, man, he's fantastic. And he told me Charles Billingsley. And that was when I f- first started being aware of you. Wow. Uh, and then we did the first ever gridiron men's conference that I did mm-hmm. when it was still in Tuscaloosa at the university mm-hmm. of Alabama. I yep. do not remember what year that was. And that's the first time you and I had ever done any kind of ministry together. And we kind of hit it off and have been doing it ever since. Yeah, man, we have, we've done ministry events all over the country together and it's a blast. And, uh, your ministry has just grown exponentially, but so has the show. It's been pretty amazing. Can you go back to what led you to start this show? Was this like a dream of yours, or was it kind of kind of like my ministry? My ministry kind of started by accident, but was this something you and, uh, and Bubba just sort of did really intentionally and had a plan for this for years and just finally uh, you know, bit the bullet and tried it, or how did it all get started? For me, it's interesting. When we first started out, Bubba and I knew each other. We went to rival high schools. And some of his cousins played football with me at where I went to high school and that he went to school about 12 miles from there. I, I kind of grew up in that old school high school football Americana where the furthest a school was from another school that uh, was a rival was 12 miles. Most of the schools were four miles, three miles, eight miles from each other. So we all knew each other, even if you went to another high school. And so I ended up playing college football when I, when I was a kid, I really was only interested in, in three things. And that was radio music and football. That was it. I was not very well-rounded and I dabbled in all of it. My mom says she can still remember me sitting in uh, the, one of the rooms of the house, you know, where you have the living room, that you're never allowed to go into. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And she said, I would get in there with a little record player and take a plastic baseball bat and put it in between the cushions of one of the chairs in there where it would stick up in the air, and I would take a little push-button recorder with cassette in it, and I would pretend to be on the radio. Radio used to be so good. I'm talking about music radio because every single disc jockey had his or her own personality, did their own Mm -hmm. show. It was before it became corporate and cookie-cutter, and I think that just destroyed terrestrial radio. But really, the only place there's any personality now is talk radio, music Mm -hmm. radio. They, They let them say two or three words and... Then they crank out another, you know, 10, 12 songs in a row that we can all get on Apple Music. But but yeah. anyway, this is when radio was really happening. And uh, so I was just listening to those. That, that personal connection of radio is such a unique medium. And I was just in love with it. And I think God gave me a, 
a passion for it that I didn't fully understand at the time. So when I started playing around with that, and then when I was playing college football, I went to play football for a year at Troy. It was called Troy State in Alabama then, and mm-hmm. I'd had some injuries. I, I was supposed to go play in the SEC, got injured, ended up playing some Division II football. That's when I kind of went down a bad road and started uh, down a real dark period of my life. And so I ended up quitting football and joining a rock band and going out playing the bar circuit and all that. Well, at that time, my mom was like, look, if you're going to try to do music or this radio thing, please get a degree. Please find some way to have something to fall back on. So I started uh, going to Jacksonville State University, uh, which was in our county, Calhoun County, Alabama, where we mm. grew up. And that's where Bubba was from. He was from Jacksonville. So I met him in, in some communication classes, and they had a campus radio station there. So I started being a jock on the campus radio station. Then I go play gigs on the weekends and then the campus radio station. So I was kind of dabbling in, in music and in radio. Well, Bubba was in engineering. Uh, he was not on the air. He wasn't in programming. He was you know, working on the equipment and wanted mm-hmm. to go down that road. Uh, and if you've ever, ever heard Bubba talk, you know why. And he even owned a radio station at one time, and they wouldn't let him do a commercial. <laughs> Can we talk about monochromial, monoclonal, monochromial, monoclonal <laughs> antibody? No, 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 we cannot, and neither can Bubba. So we uh, we ended up in a Spanish class together, and the woman who was teaching us had fled Castro. Her family was marked to be killed by Castro, and she said one day that we frustrated her so much in her attempt to teach us Spanish, she's considering going back to Castro. <laughs> Wow. And, uh, and so, and so that's how that's how much. And matter of fact, she has a policy. This is true. A policy. She will no longer do interviews about Rick and Bubba. Somebody hears this story. If they're talking about the show, they try to call her and interview her. And she says, "No, I have a policy. I will not discuss these two. That's fantastic. And so my English teacher uh, also, I saw her and I said, "Hey, have you heard my radio show?" She said, "Yes. It makes me want to drive my car into a tree." <laughs> Please don't tell anybody that I taught you English. So the, there's a woman that tried to teach me Spanish that won't claim me, and the woman who tried to teach me English won't claim me. Uh, and they cannot believe that I went into radio. So I actually started out just doing the show on my own. And uh, so I did the campus station. Then I got my first paying job. Then I got on my first FM station. And when they moved me to morning radio, I mean, I, mean, I was living the dream. You thought you had it made, man. Oh, mm-hmm. listen to this. This was my work schedule. I was afternoon drive on K98, 97.9. I would play the hits. I'd come in and do commercials from 1 to 3. I would do my show from 3 to 7. Then I would either go play a gig that night or, you know, whatever I was doing and didn't have to be back to work till 1 o'clock p.m. the next day. It was a dream. And so when they came to me and said, we want to move you to morning radio, I thought I was being demoted. Yeah, I bet. I was like, wait, morning? Who listens to radio in the morning? And they were like, normal people. Yeah, normal people listen to the radio in the morning. They have real jobs. So they moved me to mornings. It did not go well with my lifestyle at the time. I started missing something that's crucial yeah, to health. And that, and that was sleep. Sleep. Yeah. Hard to do gigs at midnight and come in at five. And I thought my life had been ruined. So anyway, uh, Bubba, at the time, he was just going by Bill Bussey. He calls me at the station I'm at. And he said, I'm engineering at a station in Gadsden, Alabama called Q104. And they want a new morning man. And I've suggested that they hire you. And I was like, so we started talking and, and we worked out a deal. I went to that station. And then as I started doing the morning show there, I was like, man, this would be a better show if I had some people to interact with. And the station had died. They didn't have any listeners or anything. And so Bubba comes through one day working on equipment. And I said, Hey man, 
the engineer just walked in here and I said, you talk like everybody's uncle Bubba in Alabama. I said, Bill Bubba Bussy. And I said, sit down and let's talk Well, the, the general manager's like, why are you talking to the engineer? And I'm like, man, I think this is, I think they got something going here. And so he kept coming in. So one day we came up with the idea that we would do a Southern version of Shakespeare. And if you guess what Shakespeare and work we were working on, you won some sort of prize or something. So yeah. we're literally sitting there and I'm practicing my lines. We're about to go on the air. And I look over at him. I said, it'll be funnier if you read it. I sound country and Southern, but you sound even more so. <laughs> yes. I said, if you will, if you'll do this, it, it will, it will be hilarious. And I, the day that the Rick and Bubba show started, he looks down and he comes out and I said, now it's time for good old boy theater. And Bubba goes, Romero, Romero, <laughs> Romero. <laughs> and so people started calling and then a, a salesperson came in and said, Hey man, I got a, a sponsor wants to sponsor this good old boy theater thing you're doing. And oh so in 1994, in January, I went into mm. the general manager and I said, I want to start a new show starting in January. It'll be called Rick and Bubba. He goes, you're going to put the engineer on as your co-host? I said, absolutely. I think it's going to kill. And he goes, what am I going to do for an engineer? And I said, well, how about this? I'll take a cut in pay for you having to get a you know, contract engineer, but I believe that investment will work, and I'm going to invest in him, and it, it took off. Wow. What a story, man. I had no idea that's how it all started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sure would like to hear some of those old theaters. I would too. too man. Oh man, it was a good old oh. boy theater. It was a killer. <laughs> Have you guys thought about bringing that back at some point to the show? No, we do. We uh, like maybe once or twice a year we'll do it. We'll bring yeah. it back and say this this is this is what started the show and we'll do it. You know, you could do the same thing by reading modern like rap lyrics that are halfway clean. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I would love to hear Bubba read rap lyrics. Yes, uh, but but again, remember haven't we done enough damage to Shakespeare? Well, <laughs> he's probably rolling over in his grave. <laughs> so then you met Sherry. Now, were you already married to Sherry when you started the show? No, uh, I actually been married to Bubba longer than Sherry. And, wow. Uh, and I, sure. By the way, just note to self, don't confuse those two. I know I told Sherry the other day, I said, man, I can't believe we've been married 28 years. She said, we've been married 25. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no, that's Bubba. So we were doing the show. And they walk in the door one day at Q104 and said, please meet your new news anchor, Sherry Bodine. And I looked up and I, she was smoking. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is and, and Bubba looks at me. And he goes, please don't embarrass yourself. Please don't embarrass yourself. You, you have no shot with this woman. None. And, and so so she comes in and, she, and so it, start, it starts turning to a bit on the air. And she's like, all right, here's the, here's the news. And I'd interrupt her and I say, honestly, seriously, when are you going to go out with me? And she goes, what? She goes, what? You're gross. And, I, and gross. I, was like, I was like, I was like, what? You mean you haven't been dreaming your whole life for a guy with a broken down car and a mullet? <laughs> oh, I had a smoking mullet. My mullet was blazing. Smoking. <laughs> Just imagine. So I kept going on and on with it. Well, Charles, as you know, what's the way to a woman's heart usually? music so i find this musical deal you know these tracks adam and it was a track to wonderful tonight by eric clapton oh yeah so i took it and did a parody song instead nice. of wonderful tonight instead of you look wonderful tonight it was sherry read me the news tonight oh, so nice. she's coming into work and she hears me on the air going and i say sherry read me the news tonight <laughs> Like that, she was like, "This guy's insane!" And now you got all these listeners that are are now involved in this deal. Oh man! And they're cheering for me. They'd be like, "Why you won't date Rick? What's wrong with you?" She goes, "This was brilliant." 
And she said, finally, I was like, I, I, honestly, I kind of thought that was cool that you did that song. And I didn't know whether you were going to be a disaster or you were going to be my husband, but you're going to get your shot. <laughs> and so I took her out to lunch. Now we dated for six months. I asked her to marry me. We were engaged for a year. And then we got married on February the 10th in 1996. Wow. Now did Bubba go on the honeymoon or did you leave him back in Alabama? Left Bubba behind. The radio duo thing only goes so far. <laughs> That's right. I used you have to have, have microphones wherever you I go. had a best friend named Larry and I got married before he did. And we took multiple vacations with me and Shay and Larry, Larry tagged along. <laughs> It was a little awkward. Yeah, she, uh, Bubba was actually married when the show started, so he was actually he's been married longer than me. So then you have kids, everything's rocking right along. End up with four kids, and then uh, in the midst of the radio show growing, everything going well, tragedy strikes like it like it does in so many lives. But this was especially hard for you guys. What uh, what happened? Well, it, it's you know when when I, the show first started, I was lost. I, I was a cultural Christian, you know that. Mm -hmm. Made all you know, made claims that I believed the right things, like a lot of folks in the Bible Belt where I grew up, but lived a life of, of total rebellion. And so, the the pastor that married Sherry and me, he called me out on it, which I appreciated that. He said, you know, I think that you're claiming one thing but living something different. And I, we don't have time for the whole deal, but the bottom line was, he said, I look in your life and you make a claim of being redeemed, but I don't see the fruit of Jesus anywhere in your life. And he was right. I. I had not even been to a church in 13 years. Um, mm -hmm. I lived a life. I didn't live a life of stumbles. I mean, you know, the disciple of Jesus will still struggle with sin as long as we have this flesh on us. But I was not a disciple of Jesus because I lived in perpetual sin. As as First John tells us, you know, the disciples of Jesus don't make a practice of sinning uh, mm -hmm. because now we're saying that somehow Jesus isn't strong enough to have any impact on our life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the pastor lovingly but directly kind of addressed that. And I think he was looking out for Sherry because the two older children of ours, Sherry became, was their stepmother because I'd been married for two years during my life of uh, perpetual sin, destroying someone's life. And, and we had two children and two years. And so when I was redeemed, Sherry, uh, and when she married me, she took on the responsibility of these two small children. So mm -hmm. she was a stepmom day one. And then we we had three more sons, and um, and every and we both were redeemed through our premarital counseling. So the beautiful thing is, I get to celebrate my redemption and my marriage in the same year. That's so cool! Wow! And knowing the evidence of the Holy Spirit, we were on our honeymoon, and we were so excited about. It, we can't wait to find a church. I had never been involved in a church. I'd attended a church, you know, because my parents took me to church, but I'd never been involved in a church. So we come back, we find a local church and a local minister that starts discipling us. Uh, and as you just said, Charles, you know, we, we add the third child, then we add the fourth, and then we add the fifth. And by this time, I'm 12 years into being a follower of Christ. And now I'm, I'm speaking places I, and I'm learning how to use the platform the way God intended it. He gave me that passion for radio so that he, would be, he could be glorified. But, you know, until I was redeemed, I, I was doing damage for king, the kingdom, not not advancing the kingdom. And then the, the process of my sanctification, the difficult part was that, that I start out as this spiritual infant and everything that I was growing, it's a good thing that people got to watch that growth, but it was also the bad thing because of how many mistakes I've made early on, because I just didn't know much, you know, I was redeemed, but I didn't know much. So as I started maturing uh, in the faith and, and grasp of the, of the word of God, I was speaking at a youth deal in uh, 2008 with the five kids and our newest one, Bronner was two and a half years old. And when I was speaking at this conference, they had three arenas and then you would speak 
twice at each arena for a total of six sessions. And there are about 1,200 youth at each session. Because when I first started out, you know, we'll talk about the men's ministry stuff, but when you're in the entertainment business, and rightfully so, the ministry to begin with was youth. Hey, let's bring the celebrity guy who, right. the entertainer guy who just found Jesus to come speak to the youth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of the ministry I had at the time. And Scott Dawson, the evangelist, was kind enough to allow me to come speak at some of his conferences. So um, I'm leaving and I get in my car and I noticed that my phone had gotten a call from the house and they're getting me in the van to take me to the next arena. And uh, I called my phone, but it wasn't a big deal to call the house. I thought the kids were calling, hey, daddy, sure. what are you doing? Sherry's calling, how's it going? And uh, when Sherry picked up, I knew it was a different day. She was she was hysterical. And she said, you have to get everybody there to pray. And I said, "What what's happened? And she said, um, I don't know how this happened. And I said, no, you got to tell me what happened. And she said, the baby got out of the house, has fallen into the swimming pool and is drowned. And the EMTs are here trying to bring him back. Everyone has a story, but how you share that message really matters. Innovative Faith Resources comes alongside you to help customize the online and print resources you need. Our team of communication and media professionals create compelling designs to provide branding and graphics. They produce stunning videos and animation to help engage your audience. When you need someone to help you break through the noise and reach your audience, depend on Innovative Faith Resources to help your vision take flight. Find out more at InnovativeFaith.org. You know, thankfully, I was 12 years into being a follower of Jesus, not 12 days or even 12 months. And so I, I knew that God wasn't silent. Can I tell you what's interesting, but not surprising? The verse that I was ending each session on was John 16, 33. Hmm. I would end each session that night and say, I want to tell you something what Jesus says about difficulty. And what he says about this world that I know disappoints wow. you all the time and all this fallen creation. I said, Jesus says, I say this so that you'll have peace. And I said, isn't that what we all want? You know, if I were to ask you the truth tonight and you tell me what you really want, if you really thought about it, if you didn't think about it, you might say money. You might say this girl, this guy, celebrity. But if you really thought about it and you were being truthful, you say you want peace. You want to know that everything's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And I said, Jesus says he says this so that we'll have peace in this world. We will face tribulation. Not we might. We will, which kind of kills the whole health, wealth, and prosperity gospel on one verse. But anyway, yeah, he says we will face tribulation, but always take heart or have joy in your heart, some of the interpretations say from the original Greek, because I've overcome the world. And I told them as I left the stage, whatever you're facing, Jesus is overcoming. Because redemption is our biggest problem. So after you tell them that, you walk out and get this call. And you're forced to live exactly what you've been preaching. So they started the process of trying to get me home. And um, my wife wrote a book. It took her five years to write this book about where God is in these kind of situations. What's the answer is, I don't want to give the book away. Uh, Scripture tells you he's right in the middle of it. And so the process of me working my way to her, they sent an airplane to try to get me home quicker because I had driven and I was about four and a half hours away. And I tell this, as you know, Charles, uh, to, to men is there's just this headship that, and responsibility that God's given us that, that we always try to either force our wife to be the spiritual leader, even though we're, they're equal to us, but there's a headship that has been given to the man equal, but not same. And what a lot of men do is we farm out the spiritual leadership to somebody else. And I could have easily done that because my wife is a solid, powerful man. When she became redeemed, 
she, and if you've ever read her book, you'll see her depth of scripture understanding and her devotion to her savior. She was maturing a lot quicker than me. But even at this time, she writes about it in the book. She says, when I was at children's hospital, she said uh, they were trying to revive the baby and I began to pray. And all of a sudden I heard myself say, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. And she said, I couldn't pray that. But Romans chapter eight tells us what? That the redeemed have access now to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will intervene in groans that we can't even understand and we'll take that prayer and we'll adjust it so that we pray what Paul says, what we ought to be praying. And so, of course, she learned that from Jesus. What, not my will be done, Father, but your will be done when we were all on the line. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so she said, I heard myself pray that, and I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She said, when I did, the doctor says, we're going to have to stop. We can't can't revive your son. And uh, she said, then they handed me his body. And she said, as I was rocking him for the last time on this side of heaven, she said, I looked up and the pastor was coming in from our church and I saw some friends coming in and I saw some family members coming in. And she said, it was awkward. And she said, not just for the obvious reason. She said, everybody knew the same thing that I knew that that couldn't be my husband. I'm glad you're my pastor, but you're not my husband. I'm glad you're my friend, but you're not my husband. I'm glad you're family, but you're not my husband. They could not be the husband and they could not be the father. She said, so we waited on him because no one could replace him. And I hope that men hear that. And, and, I, and I'm thankful to the Lord above that he had drew me to himself. He had sanctified me, had given me a guy who'd never read anything other than where the red fern grows, is that he gave me a, a thirst for scripture that was supernatural. And yeah. I begin to, like Sherry has seen me study the word of God. She goes, that right there is a miracle that nobody gives God credit for. Uh, the see you sitting there reading and studying and, and consuming the word of God. Well, I'm glad that, that I did that because I would have hated to walk in on that moment and looked at my, my wife and my children and say, Hey, I'm sorry, daddy. And your husband, I just don't like to read. Yeah. Wow. You know, y'all wow. know me. I don't like to read, so I don't have the answers for you. I guess I should have. Anybody want to know how to throw the football? Cause somehow I'm an expert on that. I become an expert on hunting and fishing and, and uh, the, what our mm-hmm. football team's doing. Anybody want to learn that? Is that mm-hmm. going to help anybody right now? See, that, mm-hmm. wouldn't, that wouldn't help very much, would it? Because what I understood is that I actually was an expert on everything that I deemed of value. And, and if a man who claims to be redeemed isn't an expert on the Word of God like he is on everything else he cares about, it's not that he doesn't have the ability to do it because God provides that. It's available to you. It hasn't been done because you haven't deemed it a value. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something. When, when my wife said that, and she gave that to me when she was writing the book. She gave me the manuscript. I looked at it and I said, man, every man in the world needs to hear that. And, and the book's called Bronner, A Journey to Understand. Uh, Andy Andrews did a review on it. Others did. But what he said has yeah. always stuck with me. He said, I've seen a lot of attempts at this kind of book. And most of the time they're written too quick. Uh, all I take away from it really is I'm glad that didn't happen to me. And he says, this book is different. Uh, the mm-hmm. five years that God caused, God did it over five years because she hadn't learned everything. You, you need to learn what you've learned over five years, not over five months. So a lot of people have said it's in, in its category, it's the best of its kind. And uh, my wife is a really talented writer, but she serves a really powerful God is what you take away from this. And so it's, uh, it's called Bronner, which is our child, our son's name, a journey to understand. And it's on audio or it's in, you know, or it's just a, the book form, whichever you prefer. And it's available yeah. everywhere. And that's by Sherry Burgess. An amazing book, an amazing story written by an amazing woman who, like so many listening, have been through 
tremendous amount of heartache and tragedy along with Rick. And what's amazing to me, Rick, is that when you did dive into the word like you did, it started to come out through everything you did, including your radio show, which, uh, and Adam and I talk about this all the time. It's amazing to me how you have this incredible balance of fun and humor and all the antics and the craziness, but at the same time, you're so bold for the sake of the gospel. And it's it's incredibly refreshing because this is a this is not a Christian radio show. It's it's a mainstream syndicated on mainstream radio program and, and it's amazing how just bold and forthright you are with scripture and the gospel and uh and your opinions that are, you know, driven by scripture and everything else. It's pretty cool. I, I listen to you guys some portion of, of every morning. I'm with you. My kids I'll get in the truck. They beat me to the truck. And so my oldest daughter turns on the country station. So then I get in and I, I hit the station and she goes, you listening to Rick and Bubba again? I'm like, yes, we're listening to Rick and Bubba. <laughs> Try to train them up. Well, the thing I like about it, which Charles is talking about is Charles has said, we've, we've said for years and everything natural, be spiritual, everything spiritual, be natural. That's you guys. Yeah. Have you guys received any backlash over the years because you're in a mainstream market yeah. and mm-hmm. you aren't bashful or timid about how faith informs our behavior and how that should happen. And then 30 seconds later, you're picking on the guy because he's mumbling, which is just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what we say is this Seinfeld said that, you know, the Seinfeld show was a show about nothing. We say the Rick and Bubba show is a show about anything. And that includes our faith. We're not doing Christian radio, but we're Christians who do radio. Mm. And what God let me know loud and clear is when did y'all decide that I only own some of radio? Mm. I own all of it. That's right. And wherever my people are placed, you're there to glorify me. And I've made that very clear in scripture, but you have to learn how to do it. And have we made mistakes? Would it be easier, honestly, to go into Christian radio? It really would be because then I could just talk about this all the time. But when you're out there in the secular world of entertainment and you're trying to walk that line as we're called to in the world, but not of the world, I will tell you through the sanctification process, there's been times that I didn't do it very well at all because what I'm supposed to be doing is influencing the culture, not letting the culture influence me. There have been times through my maturation where I, and, and we didn't do that very well. I think as we're growing, we're getting better at it, or maybe we're just getting so, oh, we don't care anymore. Uh, but but ha- has it um, has it affected us? Yes. Would our syndicator prefer <laughs> to say, hey, man, man, if y'all drop this Jesus stuff, I could get you on so many more. Right. Yeah. And um, what did Paul tell Timothy? Second Timothy 3.12. Hey, mm-hmm. just heads up, everybody who chooses to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's right. Not some, all. And so what I think about, Adam, if I'm not getting any pushback, am I really being godly? Apparently Mm -hmm. not. You know, Mm -hmm. so advertisers have dropped us. We had one person that dropped us simply because they saw that I did a Wednesday Bible study in the studio, you know, for men. Wow. And put it out. But that's all right because, you know, now what I have to be careful of, am I getting persecuted because of my devotion to Christ or am I being persecuted because I'm a jerk? Yeah. You know, and we got to be real careful that the persecution truly is coming because of Jesus, not because of the way we act. That's a great point. And I had to go through a lot, Brandon, because I mean, when I first <laughs> when I first got it, man, I, I, I stayed in the 10 position. I, I, I didn't come. I didn't ease my way into it. And what I learned is to use the entertainment and crisis flipped it. When it first started, when I first became a, a follower of Jesus, my pastor was like, you need to incorporate this into the show. 
And I was like, are you got to be out of your mind? And I said, you know, and I, I was so immature in the faith. Then I would go, oh, I need to say something about Jesus today. And that was what work was. And the comedy and the, the cutting up was what, mm-hmm. what was easy. And the talking about Jesus is what was hard. And I'm telling you straight up, it's now work for me to do the comedy because that's, that's the part I'm like, I, I want to get through this so I can get to Jesus. Yeah. I would much rather be talking about Jesus. I've had to learn to do small talk now so I can have friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten to the point now, and this is not about me. I've become so enamored with Christ. He has shown me that he is so good and he's, he's really the only thing that matters that when I, I've, I abide in him. And now what I do is say, I got to be more strategic. I was told to be, you know, as wise as the serpents and as gentle as a dove, but I, uh, I, you know, so that's been a supernatural thing to try to learn that more because I want people to see that, look, if you and I are at odds, it's not because I hate you. It's because I'm devoted to him. And that, mm-hmm. that's been a process. I'll be honest with you, it wasn't always that way. Mm. I didn't mm-hmm. love people. I wanted to go after them, and I want to say, but now it is. No, no, hear me. I love him. I'm not against you. So mm-hmm. if you oppose him, then you oppose me. But, but it's not me you're opposing. It's him. I'm just devoted to him. I don't mean you any harm. I don't hate you. I don't dislike you. I hope that you'll find him as wonderful as I have. I hope you see in me that he's a value and something you should consider. But it really has kind of flipped and, and does it cost us some markets? 100%. But look what God's doing now. Even if an affiliate doesn't want to put us on, guess what? They can still find us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got people calling in from all over the country watching on YouTube and mm-hmm. tune in. And It's amazing. And what I love is that it just seems like the more bold you are for Christ, the, the more God continues to bless not just your radio show but also your ministry because through this and here's another thing that's very rare about you guys your your primary audience is is men and so it's kind of catapulted you into now a wonderful and incredible ministry to men uh, including uh, devotional series and books about how to be a man tell us a little bit what you're doing now and how all that got rolling and what the future looks like with that well, you know, I've said before, common sense, I wasn't the first person to say it. I don't know who I saw say it first. And I remember it resonated with me. Common sense is a superpower. It's getting to the point where it really feels like you have a superpower. And I'm going to try not to be critical here. I want you to hear my heart. I'm just a, a C student from Calhoun County, okay, Alabama. Um, I'm not going to thrill you with anything, you know, my, my depth of anything other, but I, I'm pretty good at common sense. So the more I kept listening to church, and I love the church, and Jesus died for the church. I kept hearing pastors say on Father's Day, here's the Barner research, and the influence that God gave a man, there's nothing that equals it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that men are of more value than women or children. It doesn't mean that. It just means influence. Mm-hmm. So there's an influence and a headship that God gave a man that is uniquely male. And you know, I would hear this every Father's Day, and then what would come next? The challenge. So you men need to take your role as spiritual leaders, which is true. And I kept hearing this every Father's Day, but I kept noticing that really, if you looked at the church, other than Father's Day, men's ministry was really dead last. Uh, It was poorly funded. It was poorly done. You couldn't really find anybody who seemed to understand how God made men. Every little thing that they would try for men really almost came off awkward. You know, let's bring in a coach or let's bring in an athlete who can mm-hmm. uncomfortably try to tell sports stories and then force them down on scripture. And even if you got somebody good, they would get up and give you a challenge 
then you would eat and then you would look around and go, so, so are y'all ever going to show us how to do this thing? Y'all keep talking about, I know nothing, Brandon, Adam, Charles about cars. And I started thinking to myself, what would it feel like if every time I went to church and they were trying to address the men, they said, they give me scripture after scripture, after scripture, supporting that God called every man to be a mechanic. You should be yeah. the mechanic of your home. You should be the mechanic of your home. And, and here's another scripture. Here's another scripture. I'm, oh, my goodness, this it's biblically true that I'm supposed to be the mechanic of my home. And then I would sit there and go, I guess here in a minute they're going to show us how to be a mechanic. And then then dismissed. Yeah. And I'm like, we're, we keep dismissing. I don't know how to be a mechanic. Well, I got news for you. There's men screaming at the church. You keep telling me to be the spiritual leader, but you've never shown me how. What mm. do you mean? What does it look like? How are we supposed to be a man? What does the wow. Bible say about how to be a man? And so what I thought, I said, you know what? I'm going to quit complaining about this, and I'm going to actually get involved in my local church, which yeah. I wasn't. I, mm. I enjoyed going around speaking, making everyone mad, then leaving. <laughs> uh, so what I discovered was that God called me on this. I told you to make disciples. I told you to make disciples. And I, I wasn't making disciples. I was challenging men, mm. which has been the big prosecutor thing of the 90s. I've been talking with Ken Harrison, who has brought that back. Everybody says the same thing. Patrick Morley, to his credit, um, mm -hmm. Pat Morley talked about this yeah. in Matt and Mirror. He yeah. said, the thing that's missing from men's ministry is discipleship. And I agree with Pat on that, but I kept noticing there isn't any curriculum available. I mean, you can find some books. Farrar's written some great books. He's a mentor of mine. Tony Evans has written some books. There's Pat Morley wrote a great book. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you, you, there's some guys that have written some pretty good books but they're not curriculum. So mm -hmm. even when I started putting together what God showed me in scripture, this strategy that is the manchurch.com. And it took me seven, eight years to work with it before we actually started the ministry on March 1, 2020. Try that. The manchurch.com has not existed outside of a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> that sounds perfect to me though. <laughs> and yet it's growing. Yeah. And so what, what I noticed was, the scripture in, in Exodus 34, 23, and then in Deuteronomy 16, 16, here is God telling Moses three times a year, bring me the men. I just want to mm. talk to the men and I'll mm. tell them what I expect to be done. Well, I thought three times a year, we're, we're Americans. We're on a quarter system. What about four times a year? So four times a year, the church will have something where the men are really kind of like we've always done. will be challenged in a service designed for men. You mm -hmm. cannot disciple men by talking to them like they're women or children. It will not work. Yeah. Tried this in the Western church, and it has been a major failure. You have to understand that men and women are equal, but they're made distinctly different by God. And you really shouldn't talk to women and children like they're men. Shouldn't do that either. So I said, well, where can we get the men? They should be in church with their wives and children. That's great. But there's got to be somewhere, according to God in Scripture, he wants to talk to them by themselves so you can speak with the right tone. So we, we set up for churches to do at least two, but really four. Picture a clock at the top of the hour and the two-quarter hours and the bottom of the hours. That's a service where men come in and they get challenged. But in between, which has never been done, in between that is 10 weeks of discipleship where they get into small groups and they go through a curriculum that's designed for them. There's the equipping. Men's ministry has mm -hmm. never provided equipping. And so what we do is we challenge men, but we don't equip them. So what does that lead to? Frustration. Mm -hmm. Frustration. You heard me being frustrated by what y'all going to show us how to do it. Mm -hmm. So what we do then, and I said, when I did it at my local church, I kept running into the problem. The small group guys were getting exhausted because only a handful of them could expository teach. 
you know, it's hard to have a man who's confident enough to say, I'll just take him to the book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, then you start looking for curriculum like we have for the adult classes, like we have for the women, like we have for the children, like we have for the youth, and you can't find it. And you mm. know why there was no men's curriculum? There's no money in it. Can't make a ministry on that. And Lifeway yeah. abandoned their men's ministry completely. I think I did the last conference they ever did, but they never provided a curriculum for men. So yeah. you know what I said? I have a day job. I'm bivocational. We'll do it. And so we started these 40-week curriculums where I teach on video for 12 to 15 minutes, but I don't teach the whole session. Had a young guy on our team, and I love him for that. He goes, don't teach the whole session. Mm-hmm. They'll never mm-hmm. learn. This is you. Do. Now you're going against the very thing you said we weren't going to do. That's right. They got to take ownership of it. Yeah. So I do 12 to 15 minutes, and then they have study guides. Now you ask men to facilitate a group. Not necessarily teach it, because he might be intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. Facilitate it. We provide everything they need. Turn key. And we're hearing all over the country, there's over 300 churches doing it right now. They're saying we've never, and the women are saying to the pastor, our husbands have never been in the word of God like they are now. And what we hope is we're like training wheels that the men will, or at least some of them, because there'll always be new ones coming in. So there'll always be, be a need for us at some point, mm-hmm. but we we're okay with them going, we don't need you anymore. And it's called themanchurch.com. That's where people can go find all the resources they need to. And it's a discipleship ministry full of resources, devotional series, and books that help men become the man of God that God's called them to do. And it's really more resources, but it's built around four events at the local church uh, level for men to come together and then break into, for the rest of the season, into their small groups and learn and really become disciples. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. I don't know if you guys have any more for Rick, oh, Adam, man, or Brandon. No. no, that was fantastic, Rick. Thank you so much. I just love the switch that you had to make, or not had to make, you did make, from comedy and then doing your best to incorporate Jesus somewhere in there. But when Jesus is who you're living for and he's coming out of your pores, mm-hmm. then I just, I, I just thought that was awesome. And a lot of guys listen, a lot of ladies listen to this. That's what happens the closer you get to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I thought, Rick, I wanted to say, you know, Charles was saying how much your audience is men, and Charles is his women. So, man, if you guys got together, you'd have the whole country. I know. You know, Charles, I, I have to, when he does the Women of Joy tour, I have to remind him, <laughs> you know, you're a dude, right? I mean, it's, um, yeah. shouldn't, I mean, yeah. they love him. You're right. You guys should, you guys should team up. It'd be an amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be great. You have been gifted, brother, and I agree with you, Brandon. It's um, we need to be able to speak into the the family and the role yes. of men and women. And you know, when we do these roles the way God intended, you know, and He's the Redeemer and putting us in the position they always intended. All right, Rick, I got one more question for you. So you've done a lot in your life, and you've got great plans for the future, I'm sure. But is there anything? that you feel like you were made to do that you have not done yet. Anything. It can be, I have never killed a whale or I've never, you know, ridden on the back of a great white shark or whatever it might be. What is it? Anything? Did, did I just hear him say, I've never killed a whale? <laughs> yes, I mean, that's just the first the thing that came, came out of his mind. I don't know why he said that. But. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't and know then, if that's... And uh, then there was the moment that Charles found himself attacked by PETA. Oh, great. <laughs> and we lost that sponsorship. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know, my dad is a retired football coach, and uh, I really believe that God has gifted had gifted me because of being around him to be a, a head football coach. 
and I've never been a head football coach. Uh, it's funny, out of all the, the different Burgess men, only one, my son's, my nephew, my son's son, is actually a football coach. None of the rest of us did it. Yeah, I would say that I, to, to be the head football coach of a football team. Dude, that would be amazing. You know what? I'm too old, but if I could, I'd play under you, man. Well, thank you very much. And you know what? I think that you would do a great job once I straightened you out. <laughs> thank you, Rick. <laughs> I was made for this. Hey, man, thanks a lot for joining us, bro. Seriously, it was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Rick Burgess. I mean... The dude's amazing. What's so fun about Rick is that he's so talented, but he downplays all that stuff. And all you hear is this funny, you know, down-home, regular guy, but he's incredibly gifted at what he does. I mean, he's he's an iceberg. There's this funny redneck up at the top, and there's just this (laughs) huge chunk of knowledge and Bible um, and depth. I mean, yeah. you're you're so right. That's a great way to. I hope people describe me that one day as an iceberg. Uh, you're an iceberg, Charles the iceberg. You know, just, might be lettuce, the, but the depth, I, I I'm coming away from this an iceberg lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm coming away from this with just an incredible respect for what he's been through, what he's learned, how much. I mean, he, that guy knows God. Oh yeah, like personally. Absolutely. And and you know a lot of that comes through walking through deep dark tragedy like they went through with the loss of their son and his relationship with his wife and the rest of his family is is really really just amazing. But I mean, you know, you forget the fact that he has got a full ride as a college football to yeah. Auburn. I mean, this guy's an athlete, musician, but so gifted behind that mic is a radio. Another great guest on the Charles Billingsley podcast, but next week, I tell you, I'm looking forward to this one too. Abby Johnson is going to be our next guest. And that one, I mean, especially when you have a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday that we have, Abby Johnson is our next guest. And if you don't know about her, she's all over social media. Yeah, Abby Johnson, what an amazing story this is. Uh, (laughs) Quite a departure from dealing with Larry the Cable Guy and Rick Burgess because those guys are both hilarious comedians. Abby's funny, and she's got an incredible personality, but her story is... uh, just powerful. I mean, she comes out of dealing uh, with the abortion industry and Planned Parenthood and all that, and uh, and she participated in over 22,000 abortions, and uh, we thought what more appropriate guest to have than dealing with the uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday um, the week prior to her coming on as yeah. our guest, and the whole issue of Roe versus Wade and all these things, and uh, so we're going to talk a lot about abortion, the issues around it, and her story specifically her testimony, uh, the movie that has been written yeah. and unplanned. And, yeah, it came out a few years ago, uh, her new book. It's it's really, really going to be a powerful time with that. One of the things I love about this conversation is you will hear a lot of stories mm-hmm. and interviews that have to do with abortion and the travesty of it. Mm-hmm. This one is a whole different context from the get-go. If you want to kind of uh, learn a little bit about her before you even hear her, her website's abbyj.com. Mm-hmm. And of course, you could go to our website, charlesbillinsley.com, at any given time to look at the next resources, maybe even products, some music. Some music. <laughs> yeah, we have that. Yeah, we have some really? Devotion. We have products there. Yeah, and we, and we also have the calendar there where you can go on and see where we're going to be hey. doing concerts live and, and <laughs> as opposed to dead. Well, that's yeah. an important decision. You know, I've yeah. never done a dead concert. I've done concerts for dead crowds. <laughs> okay, yes. Well, and they weren't technically dead. They just looked 
Well, acted dead. Okay, okay never mind. Anyway, but yeah, come on out and see us. It's a lot of fun, and, uh, and we want to see you over the course of the spring. We have a lot of events coming up, so look up, look at the calendar there on the yeah, website. Yeah, and don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already to this podcast. You can just hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next week on the Charles Billingsley Podcast. 